But now we'll get into the greatest teaching of all time, the real reason that we're here, because much like Michael Jordan, there is no debate that this is the greatest teaching of all time. And to start, I, I just want to ask a question. I want to ask, uh, how many of us, how many of you have ever done this? Uh, taken something like prayer and placed it on a pedestal. For many of us, we, uh, you might have grown up in a uh, religious or spiritual or church-going environment, and a tendency of doing that, for many of us, myself included, is we might take certain spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines or things that we have just grown up that we have this kind of innate sense of reverence and respect for, and in doing so, with totally good intentions, placed it up on a pedestal. Placed it on a uh, pedestal that despite our good intentions has made it seem a little bit out of reach, a little bit too important, a little bit reserved for certain people or places or times. And prayer is definitely one of them. Prayer is something we have a deep respect for, a high regard for, again, especially if you've grown up in that environment. There are prayers that we've grown up saying verbatim and have memorized, prayers that we have uh, framed around our homes, prayers written on jewelry, prayers that we say before meals, at bedtime over our kids, and more. But the problem happens when we turn certain spiritual practices like prayer, and instead of embracing it, because of our good intentions, because of our perspective and our respect, by placing it on this pedestal, we reserve it only for certain people who are worthy or certain moments that are respectable enough or certain places or certain positions that are required, certain spiritual checklists that need to happen in order for us to engage in this spiritual practice. And what happens is the more and the more that we do this, the more of a pedestal we put it on until suddenly it seems a little bit out of reach that we might not be good enough. We might not know how to do this certain thing. And what's interesting is that it is this exact thing that Jesus himself got the most upset about. This is what ticked Jesus off the most. Jesus' harshest words were not spoken to sinners, people who broke God's law. They were not spoken to known thieves or adulterers or prostitutes or corrupt Roman leaders. They were almost exclusively spoken with a great deal of energy behind them to the religious leaders of the day because they had taken what God meant to draw people close to him and turned it into this uber spiritual practice that required a long checklist of things for people to do in order for them to be good enough to experience. They took these things and put them on a very high pedestal and this is what got Jesus most upset listen to his words to the pharisees in matthew 23 he says you pharisees and teachers are in for trouble you are nothing but show-offs you're like tombs that have been whitewashed on the outside they're beautiful but inside they're full of bones and filth that's what you're like outside you look good but inside you are evil and only pretend to be good the term that Jesus most often used when describing the Pharisees or leaders of religious law was the term hypocrite. Now, hypocrite in our day and age uh, usually means that uh, somebody who says one thing but does another or believes one thing but acts a different way. At this time in the first century, hypocrite actually is literally translated performer or actor. Because the Pharisees, the leaders of religious law, they did walk the walk and talk the talk. They just didn't believe it in their heart. And so Jesus said, listen, you all are performing. 
you are pretending on the outside to have this like reverent spiritual like perspective and doing these things out of your heart, but inside you are dirty and filthy. You're like a whitewashed tomb where you look good on the outside, but there's just death and decay inside. Jesus essentially said to the Pharisees, you have turned knowing your heavenly father into behavior management. And God does not want our behavior, he wants our heart. God gave us these instructions out of love so that we could know him and be with him, not so we could become spiritually elite and use it to judge and condemn others. Jesus teaches us that these things God has given us in no way are meant to be up on a pedestal, in no way meant to be reserved for certain people, places, or moments. They are meant to be embraced on a moment-by-moment daily basis. And yet so often prayer in our lives sits up on this pedestal. We sometimes think that only certain people or certain types of people can or should pray. That if we pray, we have to use long, spiritual-sounding words like verily or ecclesiastical. That we have to assume a specific position with our eyes closed, hands folded, head bowed. Or we have to be in a certain place or wear certain multicolored robes or weird hats and then we can pray. I've heard so many people throughout my life say things to me like, well, I just, I don't know how to pray. Or I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to say. I'm not spiritual enough, you know, why don't you go ahead and pray? But it was this kind of perspective that Jesus got upset about the most when he saw people losing the heart of what prayer was meant to be and instead viewing it as being too intimidating, too out of reach, reserved for somebody else. It frustrated him to no end. Joyce Meyer has a great quote where she says, prayer is simply talking to God like a friend and should be the easiest thing we do each day. I think God gets upset. I think God's heart breaks a little bit when he sees this. When he sees us viewing prayer, something meant to connect us to him as unobtainable or out of our reach. Because instead, we should look at prayer as an absolute privilege as a gift from our Heavenly Father. That God is not the type of God to say, hey, I'm sovereign, omnipresent, over all things, created all things. I'm going to stay very distant from you tiny humans. Instead, we worship a God who says, I created you, and I love you, and I want nothing more than to be with you. And prayer is our avenue to God. And the wisdom that Jesus teaches us in the greatest teaching of all time rips prayer off the pedestal and places it right in our lap. Listen to Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, beginning in verse 5. He says, when you pray, notice he doesn't say if, which I love, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, the performers, the actors, who love to pray publicly on street corners in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Also, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. You, they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. This is an awesome passage. In short, Jesus is telling us when we pray, we don't have to pray in front of a lot of people. We don't have to pray to impress anyone. 
We don't have to pray long prayers, and we don't have to use big, impressive spiritual words when we pray either. If you have ever heard somebody pray, and it sounded super spiritual, super impressive, it went on for way too long, and they used a lot of words you didn't even know how to spell, and you were like, that's kind of weird or boring, that was super annoying, Jesus is like, yep, I agree. Because he teaches us none of those things are required when we pray. Jesus is like, heck yes, that was totally missing the point. That was a performance prayer, not a prayer from the heart. Then Jesus takes it a step further after this moment of teaching, and he says, hey, here is how you should pray. Beginning in verse 9, he says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. This is, of course, referred to as the Lord's Prayer, and it's probably the most famous prayer in existence. And I want to break it down just a little bit because this is an essential part of what it looks like to pray. First of all, I want to point out that Jesus is telling us how to pray, not what to pray. So I, although it's, there's nothing wrong with praying the Lord's Prayer verbatim, of course, that's absolutely appropriate. But more importantly, Jesus is saying, hey, here's a framework for you to take prayer in your own life and make it about you and God. This isn't like something to just, again, it's not the performance. It's not just repeat these words, check the prayer box, and you're good to go. He's like, no, here is how you are to pray. And he gives us six key elements in this prayer that we should incorporate in all of our prayers. The first element is simply praising God for who he is. The second is asking for God's kingdom to exist here, right now. God's kingdom is not something we're waiting for once we die. God's kingdom is something we can and should live in in this moment in our everyday lives. The third element is asking that God's will be done. Not ours, but God's will be done in our lives. The fourth is asking God for what we need, not what we want, but what we need. The fifth one is seeking forgiveness, which those of us who follow Jesus understand we already have the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. This is a moment of humbling ourselves saying lord i am not perfect thank you for your forgiveness forgive me for how i have sinned lead me back i repent i turn back to you and the final one is asking for god's protection and that's it no big words no three-hour prayer sessions no impressing people with our spirituality that's a word i just made up just these six heartfelt elements that jesus says when you pray here is a framework on how to do it not a performance piece but here's the framework that you built in to your relationship with god as you communicate with him and these six elements are so important. Notice how the first three elements of how we are to pray are focused on God. Element number one is blessing God. Element number two is seeking his kingdom. Element number three is praying for his will to be done. And then the second three elements are on our, our behalf. Also keep in mind that every single uh, word in the Lord's Prayer is plural. It's not an I or me, it's a we, it's an us, that we are God's children, we are his body of believers. And so when we pray for, to give us what we need, this isn't about just me getting what I want, this is Lord, give us what we need. This is forgiving our sins, leading us away from temptation and protecting us. That is the heart of how we pray. There is no verbatim expectation, performance expectation of God. He says, hey, here's the framework, and now simply talk to me. And that's what Jesus teaches us from the greatest teaching of all time. So now, I want to dig a little bit more into Scripture as to the heart of what prayer is. Jesus gave us the framework. Now let's dig in a little bit more. One thing I want to mention is that the word prayer simply means to ask. 
that at its core, prayer is petitioning the God of the universe to intervene, to bless, to provide, to speak, to act, to move, to answer, to help, etc. It is reaching out into the spiritual world to someone who is bigger than ourselves, bigger than our world, and asking that he become a part of our lives every day, moment by moment. Now, in keeping mind that prayer means to ask, we also must admit that there will be times we might be praying for something we think we need, but is actually something that we want. Many times when we pray and God doesn't answer our prayer, we think, Lord, what's the problem? Is this thing on? Like, are you hearing me right? Like, I don't understand why you're not getting this. Like, I need this promotion, this relationship, this move, that house. Like, I need all these things to work out. Why aren't you answering my prayer? Well, Jesus actually addresses this later on in the greatest sermon of all time. In Matthew 7, he says this. He says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks, receives, everyone who seeks, finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Then he appeals to parents. He says, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Now, sometimes I do this because after the fourth dinner I made my kids and they're still not hungry, here's a rock, eat that. I'm just kidding, I don't do that. (laughs) I don't do that, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? Jesus makes this important point saying, listen, sometimes you're going to ask me for things you think you need, but you don't realize you're asking for a snake. God is sovereign. God is outside of time. He knows all things, and most importantly, more than anyone, God wants what is best for us. And there will be times when we are asking God for something we think we need, we think is important. God saying no is not him being mean. God saying no is him being a loving father saying, you don't know what you're asking me for. And I'm sure all of us in the room could think of a prayer or a desire or a wish that we had at one point in our life that we are so glad God did not say yes to. There is a God, and it is not us. And as we ask him for the things that we need, what is important is the first thing Jesus said at the beginning of that passage in Matthew 7, which he said, keep on asking. He didn't say, hey, ask, and I might say no, and then move on. He said, no, 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 keep on asking. Here's why. The more time we spend in prayer, the more time we spend in communion with God. And the more time we spend in communion with God, the more opportunity God has to transform our heart's desires to what he wants for us. Uh, some of you remember this diagram that John showed a number of months ago. I just wanted to show it again. It's so helpful for my brain. Here's, here's why God desires us to continue praying. Because as we start along our path, there's our desire. So we start praying like, Lord, this is what I believe I need. So I'm going to start praying for this. The more time we spend in prayer, the more time we spend with God. And God, like the gravitational pull of a planet, begins to transform our hearts into his desire for us. And those are the prayers that God says yes to. So for those of you that have been praying, for those of you that have been asking, maybe for a long time, keep on asking. Keep on seeking God because the more time you spend in prayer, the more time you spend with your heavenly Father, the more the Holy Spirit can transform our hearts until you want what he wants and that's the prayers that God says yes to. Also keep this in mind, that God has three different answers to our prayers. Yes, no, and the worst one, wait. Yeah, (laughs) that one sucks. There will be times when God says yes to our prayers. There will be time when God says no to our prayers. And there will be many, many times when God simply says 
wait. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. The answer is not no. The answer is wait. And again, we can trust that God knows what he is doing. And as we spend more time with God, another thing I want to mention about prayer is that prayer is a conversation. It is not a one-way ATM of us simply voicing what we want or need or think we want or think we need to God and then shutting off. Prayer is a conversation, and as we know, any good conversation goes two ways, which means prayer is also listening. A huge part of prayer is listening because God is speaking to us, to you. And it takes practice to hear his voice. But maybe sometimes when we think we're missing God's answer, when we think God is not answering our prayer, the problem is simply that we're not listening. In John 10, 27, Jesus himself says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And the way that we can learn to recognize God's voice is by practice practicing listening to him. The problem is that we live in a culture, we live in a society where there is constant noise, constant voices, constant stimulation always around us and it takes a great deal of practice to listen to God. I remember there was a season in my life where God called me to do this. He just, he was teaching me like, you know, I was used to the one-way prayer thing where I was like, here's what I need, see ya. And God was like, hey, I want you to listen to me because I'm responding and I want you to learn how to recognize and, and hear my voice. And so for a whole year, solid year, I, I committed to every morning I would sit on my couch and just listen. I wouldn't say anything, I wouldn't have music on, I would just sit and listen. I remember thinking like, this is going to be awesome. Like, I'm going to sit. I'm so spiritual. Like, I'm going to sit and listen, and light shafts are going to come down from heaven, and angels are going to come and get a Diet Coke and be like, what's up, dude? You know, it's like, it's going to be so amazing as I start listening to God that he's going to start speaking to me. And so the first day I did, I sat down, and I was quiet and silenced myself and really tried, and I didn't hear anything, and I kept waiting and kept waiting and kept waiting and kept waiting, and I looked at my watch, and it had been 12 seconds. And I'm like, Lord, what the heck, man? Come on, I'm here. I'm like waiting for you. And then the next day I tried again, and it was really hard but I got 30 seconds in and then it took so much practice like day after day after day week after week after week until finally what actually took the most work was shutting up my own self what took the most work was not necessarily getting God to speak he was speaking what took the most work was me practicing silence in my spirit and the vast majority of the time even now when I practice listening to God the first five ten six hours of me getting into this moment is me simply surrendering the thoughts that continue to distract me from listening to God but God is speaking and if you've not heard his voice in a while I would encourage you to listen and again this is why he says keep on asking keep on seeking I would say keep on listening in fact never stop praying 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, the Apostle Paul says, always be joyful, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, when I first read this, I was like, that's intimidating. Like, I'm just, just walk around, like, muttering prayers, like, freaking people out at Costco. Like, I don't know if I want to do that all the time. But I love this because, again, the heart, it's not the performance, it's the heart of prayer that the Apostle Paul is like, you don't ever have to stop praying. You don't ever have to stop. You don't ever have to disconnect from God and be like, going to work now, Lord, see you later. It's like, no, no, no. You can be with God. You can converse and listen and speak and pray with God all the time. In fact, you should. This is a silly thing, but it's helped me think about it, that the way I think about my prayer, my constant prayer life, is that it's like texting. 
because we can text all the time. A lot of times we, moments when we shouldn't, you know, but we do all the time. And God is available all the time. He's got 5G, 7G across the board, like great signal all the time to the Lord. And we can text and pray and listen constantly. And I love this, again, this has just helped me that it's like these text prayers all throughout my day of, Lord, uh, give me peace as I walk in to this meeting. Lord, bless that person. God, I pray for healing for this person, right? Lord, would you give me patience in this conversation? This is gonna be really tough right now. Lord, thanks for that sunset. Gosh, that was a beautiful sunset. Lord, I pray I don't run out of gas. That's why I've done that one a lot of times too. Like just, the, you know, it's, again, it doesn't have to be this moment of like, I gotta put the robe on and shave my head like a monk and then I can pray. It's like, no, no, you can pray. We can pray all the time and we should. Because this is constant communion with God. And the final thought I want to offer is, as I just mentioned, there is no prayer position that we have to be in. There is no, again, expectation pedestal thing that God is like, hey, you need to close your eyes and bow your head and fold your hands. Now you're praying. No, no, no. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. The main reason we think we have to assume this position is because, A, we're taught that as children because we're very distractible, and I'm 35 and very distractible. The other reason is just out of reverence. There are moments in Scripture where it's like, bow your head, get on your knees, all that. But we do not have to assume any position to be in communication with God. In fact, Jesus demonstrated this in John 11, right before he raised Lazarus from the dead. John 11, uh, 41 says, so they rolled the stone aside. Jesus looked up to heaven and said out loud, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Jesus then shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. Jesus himself demonstrates, hey, you, there's no position that you have to be in. Jesus prayed with his eyes open and loudly. I'm not saying you do that all the time, but you know, that's an option available to you. All that to say, there is no wrong way to pray except not to pray at all. There is no expectation, there is no pedestal that God has put prayer on that he is expecting us to meet. The only wrong way to pray is not to pray at all. And God is here and God is listening and God is speaking. And my hope for today is that maybe even just a little bit, we've done this. That there's no pedestal. Prayer is not out of reach. Prayer is right here. And the Lord says, hey, hey, commune with me. Come be with me. Cast your cares upon me. That we might praise God, in fact, I was thinking as we were worshiping with music just a few moments ago, that's like the first three elements of this prayer is that, Lord, may we bless your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. Again, not the performance, not the verbatim, but the heart of prayer. Charles Spurgeon says, true prayer is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It is far deeper than that. It is a spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth. Prayer is a gift. Prayer is a privilege that we have the ability, the joy of communing, of speaking, of hearing the God of the universe. May we take prayer and embrace it as an everyday part of our moment-by-moment life. May we rip it off the pedestal and in doing so get to know our Heavenly Father even more. One final quote from Max Lucado about prayer. He says, our prayers may be awkward, our attempts may be feeble, but since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. And so to close our service this morning, I want to give us all a moment just to practice.
Again, I realize life is loud and busy and we get a lot going on. And just for just five minutes, two minutes this morning, I want to give you and us the opportunity to practice praying. This might be a moment where there's things that you need to uh, unload off your spirit. This might be the first time ever that you just practice listening. If you want to pull out a pen or your phone and and write your prayers, if you want to uh, leave the room, if you want to go in the back and get on your knees, again, there's no expectation here. But just for the next few moments, take this time to commune and converse and pray between you and your Heavenly Father. Father, we bless your name. So grateful for your presence and your love. Uh, God, we ask for your kingdom to come here at Heartland and in our homes and schools and work environments and our neighborhoods. God, we ask that your will be done, that you help our hearts uh, become more like your heart. Lord, we ask that you would help our hearts transform to pray for what we need. Not what we think we need, but what you know we need. God, we humble ourselves before you and ask for your guidance and protection. And let this in your name. Amen. Amen means let it be so. So you don't even have to say amen, but that means let it be so. Uh, Thank you all for joining us for The GOAT. Uh, It's been a great series. Hope you've taken up the challenge of experiencing the greatest teaching of all time. Uh, Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here next week for our baptism celebration. Have an awesome Sunday. We'll see you then.